welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing, everyone? Are you well? The weather this week is storm yawn. Yep, I'm getting old, there's no doubt about it. Um, been back down to London, running around like a madman, and it's quite funny, isn't it? You get used to the pace of London life, and I don't think you realise just how intense it is. And then I'm back in Manchester now, and I came back to London to do a couple of... I did a talk and a podcast, which we'll get onto in a moment, and, oh my God, I'm just sat at my desk today, slumped, clicking, pissing around. You know the deal. Um... Oh, dipping energy, but it's all good because it's fun, and I've got to make the dynamics good. Going back into London to do London again, you know, to have to sort of embrace that energy and really get stuck in. How do you guys feel about that? Anyone who visits London regularly, or is that even a handful of times, or anyone who lives in London and has lived in London, how do you feel about it? I was having this conversation uh, with a few people recently about the kind of headspace and how busy our lives are in London, and. I got to admit, I've got a lot of creative zest back, uh, back in my in my blood, in my bones, in my soul since I've come back to Manchester, and it's great because you know I'm able to have a city centre studio, I'm able to get back down to the city now and, and do the best bits of London, the bits that kind of attracted me there in the first place, the energy, the hustle and the bustle, the interesting people are there, that dynamic. So I'm finding the balance really nice, having lived there for three years. Um, so yeah, give me your thoughts. It's a lot of a lot of talk at the moment about the the kind of exodus of people in our industry and the creative industries leaving London you know for a number of reasons financially being an obvious one but also for a bit more community for for cheaper studio space you know to uh, just all the things that London seems to be losing a little bit of at the moment which is quite sad so interested in your thoughts maybe that's something to have a conversation about on the podcast maybe we do an episode about that I don't know get me your thoughts let me let me know how you feel about that so that's me I'm yawning um ran down there did a podcast with Charles Williams from Made Up Design absolutely um obscene talent Charles and wanted to get under you know get into the DNA of what makes his three-dimensional type his portraits digital work um and the analog methods that often support that tick so we've got that coming up in a few weeks time uh, it's a fantastic conversation uh, and a little cameo from his Staffordshire Bull Terrier, which you can see on the Instagram, running around, ripping up the plants, taking the piss because we were talking. Dogs are good at that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a little thanks to the sponsors. Uh, heartinternet.co.uk. Digital sponsor gives a little bit of a tech tip every episode. They support people through SEO, social media advice. They have URLs, domain names, um, website hosting all that good stuff go and check out what they do they're fantastic they're great guys and they've been supporting this show and the creative industry for a while now and they're brilliant so do go and have a look heartinternet.co.uk so today we've got kim vowsden coming up graphic designer image maker and typographer she's brilliant um we're going to be talking all things letterpress and typography uh, and i spent some time in kim's studio uh seeing all the old kit the letterpress machine the all the kind of uh, type trays and the, and the leading and all that beautiful stuff and it's stunning visually. I hope you've been enjoying the imagery that I've been sharing on the social media to support that. I certainly did when I was in there. Um, but what I took away from it was part of the conversation that you're going to hear coming up. We talked about the importance of supporting uh, digital work with kind of analog information and process and paying attention to all the fine details that you can only find out through touch and through play and through really kind of studying and finding out with your hands and with your eyes. Um, and it's really interesting because I think that translates across the social media and that kind of stuff. And I think it, um, 
I really believe that you know you the best use of social media is when you're feeding it uh, from the real world, from the world around you, when you're telling that story, where are you, what are you doing, and how does that matter to people that care about what you do professionally, which is ultimately why people are into you online, I guess, you know, otherwise you're just other people. So that's pretty interesting thoughts. So there you go, it's a bit of a roundabout tip, but that's courtesy of heartinternet.co.uk. And of course, my wonderful founding sponsor, Illustration Limited, my agency, illustrationweb.com, representing... Uh, a robust roster of talent, uh, animators, lettering specialists, large-scale mural artists, uh, live portrait artists, a lot of that going on in fashion stores, in high street stores at the moment. So uh, go and have a look at the portfolios. I've got an absolutely cracking range of people moving image their TV channels for each artist. Uh, and great editorial content on the news section, so go and take a look. They're doing great work with other keen show supporters, the Association of Illustrators as well, who are really getting behind the show, so go and check out their new site too, theaoi.com and illustrationweb.com. Cheers, guys. Very much appreciate the support. So I hope you've been enjoying the recent run shows. Um, massive response for Jodie Goldman, which... I'm not surprised because she's wonderful, but um, when I kind of step into these psychological angled shows um, I'm always a little bit worried that you know that people are going to kind of be a little bit reticent to listen because I guess I get the fear that people just want illustrators you know um, which I, this is not an illustration podcast you know this is a creative industries podcast creative innovation podcast says it on the tin um, so when I step away from that I do get the fear sometimes that it's just not going to get the listens but I've been blown away with the love for Jodie Goldman's episode so go back and listen to that it's a wonderful insight into all those flaws that hold us back as being kind of creative dynamos, you know, really having self-confidence and really going out there and maximising who we are in the way that we look, the way we, we act, the way, we, well, the way we're able to be ourselves and do that with great confidence. So go back, please, and listen to that because it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, and yeah, absolutely blown away by the response. So thanks to that, guys. Do go and listen if you haven't already. Let me know your thoughts at Arrest All Mimics on the Twitter uh, I've been down at Bulletproof Agency in London. Go and check them out if you haven't seen their work. They're brilliant. Um, I was really quite wowed by the setup. So basically, I went in there to do a talk. I was kicking off their Inspiration Festival, which runs over the month of October. So what a huge compliment to me uh, to, for those guys to want me in to kick that off. Uh, the idea that I can go in and be classed as someone coming in to inspire in front of a wildly talented bunch of people who work at Bulletproof was kind of intimidating in a little way and I did get the nerves but it went pretty well and I've had awesome feedback from people. Olivia Kugler is going to be turning up there. There's a whole range of fantastic people coming in to talk and I just think it's great to see that happen and that's why I wanted to mention it. So I'm going to get Bulletproof on the show down the road to have a chat about why that's important and why they create such a playful working environment to keep people inspired and happy and and, and just you know feeling like more like they're at college than working in a design agency. Uh, and it just goes to showing the work that they're doing, so cheers to those guys, go and have a look at Bulletproof's work. So, I will stop rattling your ear about all that stuff. What have you been up to? Let us know. Um, it's all going on, we've got Kim Bowsden coming up today. So she is a fantastic designer and a great typographer, and I really wanted to get under the, the skin of the typography stuff and the backstory and all that old school methods that are still prevalent today. So we're going to talk about printing unions from back in the day. Talk about 
why it's crucial to surround yourself with your work so you can see it and you can get a feel for it and you can play and compare. Um, Kim believes that you know the, sometimes the trappings of digital programs mean that we erase our former versions so we cannot compare and contrast. And that's an interesting school of thought. Uh, she's going to tell us how the original rules of typography uh, and all the letterpress analog language has seeped into InDesign and still relevant with the terminology, the way we do things. Um, I find that really fascinating that these this meshing of two really quite different eras you know talking huge letter presses in sort of print factories and print shops back in the day and now people sat on these tiny digital devices uh producing work but why the two cross over greatly so it's geeky interesting stuff and i hope you lot of geeks and you're going to get off on this just as much as i have um so you know, Kim's going to tell us why she's fascinated by the structure of web design and why letterpress is the DNA of typography. So we've got all that coming up, and Kim's awesome, and she really knows her stuff. And we've got a little little audio treat at the end. She's going to kick the letterpress machine into action so you can hear the grind uh, and the beautiful tactile process that happens there. So go and check out the social at Arrest Olympics on the Instagram, and you'll see some of the visuals I've been sharing from Kim's studio. Uh, she's over at Thameside Studios in London, and... It's brilliant. Um, so I hope you can enjoy that. Get us your thoughts, please, on the Twitter at Arrest All Mimics. Hit us up on the Instagram if you want, under the same handle. Uh, I'm over at hello at bentallen.com on the email. Uh, looking forward to your thoughts, guys. Without further ado, please enjoy the conversation with Kim Valsden. I'm trying to de- develop um, some letterpress type that people can make very quickly. Um, because it's the process of using the letterpress type um, that's important. So I can get them using funky foam and cutting and designing their own letters and sticking that through. So I don't think... I think, yes, I need more equipment, but I'm, uh, I'm very aware that I don't want to get too much because then it becomes mm. about a collecting thing, which is yeah. not what I want to do. I guess it's more... It's what, one thing I loved about those my brief time in them studios was just the ability to roam and having that bit more space to kind of pace around and and spread your stuff out and, and feel, I don't know, psychologically it just it opened me up and I felt a bit more... I think space is a really big thing and especially it's very limited in London um, and it comes down to studio space or space at university and you do have to have your work, I think, around you and it has to, you have to have space to pin it up when you're stuck with it and then come back to it um, and the computer is a problem because a lot of what you're creating just stays on this screen and you can't see it all at once. You're just, you can only mm. flick through it. And, you know, especially when you're students, I'm talking a lot about students because I've, um, obviously I'm teaching at Met at the moment and um, I can sort of see how they're learning to design with a computer, which is a very different thing to using a computer. And because they think, oh, I know how to use a computer, I just need to learn the application and I'm done, you know. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 you need to, you need to be able to record your work and I encourage them to keep screenshots because it's the quickest way of just keeping ideas and I say every time you get to a problem um, take a screenshot and you literally need to see things side by side and if you can't print them off at least put them in a different program because you see it differently if it's in Mm. um, uh, preview or something you need to see it side by side you literally need to see it like that you can't just say oh I remember what it was like half an hour ago you don't really um, and unless you don't, you know, that's what printing's taught me, you know, you always have to keep a printed record as you go along because you're always creating and, then, you know, you just put them in a stack and even at the end of the day you think, oh, I haven't got where I wanted to be. Um, 
you have this stack of work and you can go through it and you think, do you, know, do you know what, half an hour ago I was onto something and I've lost it in that time? Yeah. But you can't do that if no. you're always saving over the same file or you haven't saved at enough critical points in the design process, you haven't saved what you've been up to. Mm. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, it's really fascinating, even in the constraints of the computer program, how people use the program differently. I mean, I use... I like using Illustrator a lot because I can just stick all of the stuff I'm not using around the artboard like a desk. Yeah. And I need that. I know I can't just delete anything. If it doesn't work, I just shove it over. So, I, But I'm always keeping everything, and that's mm-hmm. a real important thing. Yeah. Um, and you're still limited within a screen. I mean, but if you can p- put it over the walls and stuff, you do need to have the space to do that. And I worry... Yeah in places like London where people are just expected that all they need is half a desk and a computer. That's not really enough. It's not healthy, is it? No, and you see it more and more in, in colleges and universities just from having gone and done guest lectures, departments being downsized. Or, I mean, on one hand, it's good to have groups thrown together. Like, I, I think it's healthy to have like second and third years together because you learn from one another. But there's only so much downsizing and kind of condensing of a space that you should do because it's really important to have... You know, there's, this, there's almost this notion that well, we're not using that space in the next week, so let's get rid of it and save some money. And it's like, uh, no, hang on, that space is crucial to give people... Well, really, why would you go to university if not for space, amongst other things? Because, you know, you can do an online course, so universities really have to be thinking about, okay, what facilities and what space can we offer that they cannot do in their tiny little bedroom Mm -hmm. when they're trying to learn it, you know, another way, like via online way. So, you know, it's, it's... you know, by selling that space, you're selling the only thing that makes you better, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's a bit of a worry. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, but it's having enough people with understands the creative process and how you use space in a creative way. It's very different to how another profession might use that space. Um, Completely. So, yeah, so that's very interesting. Yeah. So what's your background? I don't think I've ever spoken to you about your, about your roots. Yeah, well, um, suburbia, so nothing <laughs> very exciting at all. Um, um, suburbia, south-east um, London, still within the M25, so it's sort of greater London. Um, I always loved doing art and drawing. Um, I was massively... I was sort of okay at other subjects, so I was really dissuaded at A-level to go into other things. Um, and when I said I was going to go off to art college, they looked at me a little bit worried because art was what you did when you couldn't do anything else. And um, so they were really worried about this. But I'd always thought I'm not going to go to university. The only thing when I worked out what art college was, I thought that's the only thing I'd do as far as further education was concerned. So I went um, to Chelsea. Um, I did a foundation year and then that developed into um, a degree in graphic design communication or viscom they sort of change the title halfway through the course because you know <laughs> it's quite hard to work out what graphic design and visual creation mean anymore but um so something like that um and then after i came out of there i thought because it was a very digital course they didn't have any real facilities for designers and to be fair they'd only just moved to millbank the year that i went there so everything was still a bit chaotic um and i Stopped drawing when I went to art college, as a lot of people say. Um, and I thought, okay, right, so I can get a job as a designer, that's great. Um, and I'll use a computer. And the problem was, is that I hated using a computer, so this was a problem. And if you were an illustrator or a more illustration bent, you could still combine the two and sort of work a lot off screen and then final up, finish up, up on screen. But when you want to work with type... You know, <laughs> you've got to use pretty much only a few programs. Yeah. 
Um, and and I hadn't quite got round that the stuff that I loved doing, working physically with type, was like actually very valid and actually very uh, very valuable. Um, so that was the stuff I sort of did on my own time. And I came out of my university thinking, oh, I don't want to be a designer. So I went travelling for a bit. And then I came back and realised that that was the only thing I halfway knew how to do. So I started applying for jobs and didn't really get anywhere because... I suppose I was a bit like my portfolio for my degree. I kind of wasn't quite, I was kind of not really defined about what I wanted to do really. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I started doing little jobs for people and that's, I mean, I've never actually worked for a design company. Um, I, um, I always worked freelance because I sort of fell into it and I really thought I'd never do it like that. But what it's offered the opportunity to do is that I've spent a lot of time interning at letterpress print workshops. Um, I work for St Brides for quite a while, the Graphic Arts Library in London. Um, and I kind of met people who were tinkering about with this stuff in their spare time. And it, I mean, the freelancing enabled me to do things in the middle of the week yeah. and outside hours. And so I, there's a printer in Oxford called Richard Lawrence and I intern with him. And then there's a place in Walthamstow, and I intern with with them. And I think it really, I mean, to work physically with type and letterpress was the key, really. I understood it better, and I could fit it into this picture. And before letterpress, typography was a list of fonts on the computer, and oh my God, which one? And then none of them seemed to work, and you go, oh gosh, you know. And it, it really broke it down for me. And it put the history of type in a kind of context and I could grapple it and then I could define different types of typeface and classifications and then I, I could understand and pick fonts better and it all sort of fell into place once I understood where this stuff had come from. And typography is a bit of an invisible art, you know. I mean, um, you know, my partner, illustrator, once he shows his work it looks very detailed and amazing but when I show people my type... They're like, yeah, that's that works. That's great, Kim. You know, and it's yeah. but it so it's really is an invisible art, really. And um, and I think the fact that it looks so simple is it's difficulty when people sit down to do it themselves. They think, oh, I've got five minutes, put some type on there, and then they're like half an hour later, going, oh my god, it just doesn't look right. What's going on? And it's like yeah. the simplest things are always the hardest. Completely, yeah. So it's interesting what you said there about graduating um, and not thinking you didn't want to be a graphic designer, would you say that then working in a more, I don't know if archaic is the right word, but with with, that, with physical type, would, did that ignite a passion or what? Because you seem very passionate now about what you do. Oh, yeah. Um, I was not passionate to begin with yeah. typography. My first year, I remember sitting on a lecture about the, the letter A and seeing slides of A's from different typefaces, <laughs> and I thought, my God, this is so fucking boring. <laughs> Um, what am I doing here? Type is not my thing. And I think that's what everyone thinks, I think, when they first sort of yeah. really delve into it. And it is, I mean, and a part of my not being sure out of university, part was confidence, because I hadn't really... I was a bit of a nervous student. I was, you know, looking back on it, thinking, oh, I'd love to do, be much more freer in what I did. But at the time, I just, you know, I'd been institutionalised. I was thinking about grades and how... I need to get a good grade, and it was very much of that, and very anxious about doing well and all that kind of stuff. It was letterpress taught me to stop, slow down. It took, it, there's a huge amount of structure around letterpress, and it just gives you a way in. I think 
And then when you start seeing the same few typefaces coming up and you start to remember them and then there's, you read that people designed these things and they were all designed for a purpose. They didn't mm. just come out of a whim of fancy. I mean, a few typefaces today are a bit like that, but, I mean, often there's a huge sort of history that's really connected with... Um, really quick to the machinery and the technology and and what was economically viable. It's all kind of um it's all sort of tuned into this. And um yeah, I just I just think it just slowed things down because I mean typography is a huge subject and it just doesn't look it sort of looks simple but it's so huge you can't kind of get your head around it and letterpress does just slow you down and think, no, I'm not gonna give you a thousand typefaces or a thousand colours. Um, and it makes you really sort of slow down and learn the basics. And I think a computer really just throw all the options out of you. I mean, if you get a little kid and you give it every colour in the paint palette, <laughs> you will get a brown painting. I mean, they would just go for everything. That's a great analogy. That's so, so true. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas if you give a kid two colours or one colour, they'll probably do some. They have to think harder. They have mm. to work harder. And so I see letterpress as um, it's like a gym. It's like you're exercising your, your creativity. I mean, if you can come up with a great design letterpress and it's, um, you know, then you go back to the computer and you see it so much more differently. Yeah. And um, you kind of just think, whenever you're stuck or not quite sure where to go, you learn to just, okay, well, restrict yourself, restrict yourself, restrict yourself. Parameters. Yeah, and then when it's too boring, you can start breaking them. I mean, if you, you get a brief and there's un- unchangeable parameters, but then you put your own parameters on after that. Yeah. And those are the ones that you can always break if you're really stuck. Yeah. And so you can give yourself a bit of wiggle room. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is like a gym. It's about the process for me. I mean, I'm not necessarily interested in printing um, beautiful final pieces, letterpress. Um, but I mean, I think that's when people see debossing as letterpress, which it's not. Um, <laughs> but I think you're you're reducing a whole five hundred years of of the DNA of typography down to a debossing technique. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, I get why it's lovely, it's tactile, blah 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 blah. Mm. Um, but you know, you're missing the in the really interesting thing is how you construct with letterpress, how you think, and how you think in a physical way with your hands. And I think that's really missing with typography it's, it's so easy to say well I'll just go straight to the computer because I can have any size any colour yeah. and, and not really understand how typefaces visually work and, and letterpress is a real like, like climbing frame it really it gives you a structure to learn it mm. and then you can go back off but it's, um, it's definitely working um, with the, it's very interesting going back and teaching typography um, and seeing how the students respond on the one level they just want to get on the computers but when they do they have the face of like staring off into the distance and, <laughs> and like so they, they say they want to be in front of a computer but actually when you get in the letterpress room and if you can just get past the fact of I don't know why this is applicable to me um, you know they really love it and they'll go off and they'll, they'll be so the confidence coming off of them and the enjoyment and because the, they're fully engaged they're fully yeah centrally engaged in what they're doing Uh, and that's how we were meant to built to work that's how we evolved to work Um, and then I say well go to the computer now and if you haven't got a why in that typeface then you can construct it you know but you're using the computer for a tool as for a particular function you know um, you know before you use a hammer you think about what you're going to nail and you know how it goes in and you use the hammer for what you want it for but you don't want to solve a problem you just keep looking at the hammer or using it or batting it around you know it's it's yeah. the computer you've got to go for it as a tool um 
Yeah, but yeah, and it's good because also when you're learning, when you're starting to learn these programs for the very first time, um, it is hard because you're having to be creative, but you're also having to learn a tool that doesn't really do what you want it to do. Yeah. Um, and what Letterpress does is that they understand how ink squash works on paper. It's pretty simple. So they're freed up just to be purely creative and not mm. frustrated by learning a computer program. I mean, I can understand why universities often don't really teach that because it's something that you should learn yourself because we all have to update our understanding of um, applications all of the time and mm. that's a skill that you do learn. But when you're first starting off, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And if you can at least use it as not your only tool, um, um, it will you'll sort of start to see why the process is more important than the final result. Yeah, and um, I suppose where where we, where we find ourselves now in respect to a, a digital revolution means that certainly for people at university age or before that now, have uh, just they've, that's it. They've grown up using every area of their life is probably underpinned by whether it's a smartphone or a tablet or whatever else so it's almost second nature to just gravitate straight to that digital tool oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know whereas you and I I mean I don't know when you studied but I graduated in 2006 so we were still very much you know there was still a big aspect of what we did I guess would be would be physical or at least we would have had access to physical tools and there was still an importance placed on that I suppose you've got to work a bit harder now to bend their mind into seeing the worth of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've always I've always made stuff, and so that's why I think, or maybe that's why I get letterpress, because it's from a world which I understand. Um, but the new students coming through, very few of them have, you know, really built stuff a lot. Hopefully they've drawn some stuff, but they still respond to it, and that's why I'm thinking, well, obviously... Um, it's not just just because of what they're used to. It's about um, you know what our bodies were made to yeah. made to do. It's interesting though because they what I what I realise now is that when you're working with letterpress, you're walking around a lot. That's why another reason why it's like a gym, not just for your mind, but for your body. And um, the students, I often find that you know, they're not used to standing for an hour, and they find that exhausting. And yet, sitting in, a, <laughs> sitting in a chair in front of a screen, that's also not good for us. So we're no. getting to this weird point where, you know, we don't know <laughs> what we do. So, um, yeah, no, it's quite funny. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's such a... I mean, you only have to sit in a class and compare my classes that I teach digitally and non-digitally. There is a massive um, difference. Also, you know, getting someone who's enthusiastic about teaching type as well, because it is a, like one of the driest subjects where you know when you first think about it it's like oh you know yeah and it's definitely the more you know the more you love it it's definitely mm-hmm. like that it was, it was like sure. that for me I certainly did not grow up um loving to draw typefaces I was quite no. interested in presentation and things like that but I was you know type was you know as, as I saw it as a, as a normal person does I suppose but then the more you learn about it and pick it apart and you and you see that they have personalities and you can see the personalities of the designers come through and you know it's, it's like anything really the more you know about it the more yeah. interesting it becomes for you yeah. um, and you know and I love sort of I love sort of teaching that because you see it every day and like you just do not consider it at all Mm. Um, it, it, so ingrained in society that it's very easy to overlook, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but we can't function without it. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, YouTube's all great, but you know, when I'm trying to find some information, it's much easier to scroll down some text with my eyes, you know, than it is to like jump on the yeah. video player trying oh, God, to find yeah. a bit that you want so to do. So frustrating. So you know, so you know, type is quite an amazing thing. Um, 
Yeah. And it can, and I love the, the, I mean, the most interesting point for me is where it can be a visual thing as much as a, a phonetic, you know, language thing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, this, every, everything uses letters and words, you know, whether it's history or geography or mathematics, and they all have their typographic histories. You don't really think about that, but, you know, mathematical typesetting and all this kind of stuff. And it, it, it is a kind of juncture for so many different yeah. areas. And letterpresses as well, because, you know, it spans 500 years of graphic design history, but also, you know, printing every kind of, um, every kind of large um, event, you know, always has, you know, typography attached to it, mm. you know, and, um, and it's, it's a really interesting way into lots of different subjects. Yeah. Um, so with the letterpress, I've got um, artists and book artists, and then I have a different world of people who are interested in social history. Um, and the whole unions that sprang up with printing was, you know, very fascinating. Um, and because that was kind of a culture in itself. I mean, St Bride's um, Church was their church, and they had um, St Bride's, the where the library is now, that used to be a facility for the printers as a kind of, I think there was a library, there was a swimming pool there, um, um, later being put into a theatre but it was like it was a whole community of itself it had its own language um, which is really funny because a lot of that language has seeped into InDesign which is kind of very bizarre you can still <laughs> find it so you know why things are called leading and kerning and all this kind of stuff um, uh, yeah, no, it's a yeah. Thing. So where do we find you now? Because you mentioned other workshops. I know you. I know you teach sometimes at university, and another time yeah. you do your own independent workshops. Um, and you work as a graphic designer as well. So what's the balance? What's where? Where? Where do we find you now? What's yeah, what yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's like I, I'm. I'm not doing my letterpress stuff as commercial work because you know the computer is well <laughs> way better for that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I kind of use it. Um, to do the work I want to do, and it's always when you do show the work you want to do, you get more more of. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will do. I mostly like designing, obviously, for print, um, but I'm fascinated by the structure of web design. Um, when I, I used to teach at, um, well, I used to work at some brides, and we had a lot of web designers coming on the letterpress courses because it letterpress had a grid structure, and yes, it's fixed and it's dynamic in web design, but. Um, it's uh, it's just fascinating, but but everything there there can't be any white space, empty space. Otherwise, sort of it all, the whole template breaks down. So there's huge amounts of interest interest with with the two. So I do a little bit of web design, so I'm quite fascinated by it. Um, um, but it's it's quite hard keeping up with the technologies, all the different browsers and yeah. um, and all that kind of stuff. And I think if I was to do that, I think I have to leave the print behind because. I don't know, it's just such a big area to keep up with it all the time, you're having to learn so quickly. Yeah. And I do like the fact that every hour I spend on my Vickerbold printing press, I know that that is going, that's an investment in that machine and that's fine, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm always going to be able to use that information. It's not going to become um, as redundant as quickly as I learn it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, um, I suppose most of my, my work will be... Um, print design and um, a little bit of identity work and things like that um, and I try and get on the letterpress as much as possible so that's why I think for me it's very important to have that stuff in my digital space so yeah. I've got my letterpress and my digital stuff together um, because I think I need I need the kind of 
antidote to the yeah. lack of sensory information yeah. with the computer. I mean, I really can't work <laughs> in a white space because um, I find there's just nothing to respond off of, you know. Oh. I mean, you, you, you've got your head and you've got what you're thinking, but it's always um, controlled by um, a mood or a particular line of thought that you're going down, whereas if you see something... Um, and it suddenly triggers off something different mm-hmm. in your head. And so I have to be surrounded, not necessarily by my own work, but just by something visual. Stimulants, yeah. Yeah, you have to have a, be in an environment with stimulants, I think. Um, it's the first thing I do when I get in a new space, you know. It's like I, I deck the walls with whatever's inspiring me. Yeah. Pieces that I'm happy with that I've done, other people's work, a whole range. Just it's important, like you said, to be surrounded by sensory stimulants. Oh yeah, you need, you need that, and that's where it comes back to space and how space is really important. Um, um, and it's not just about space that you physically need to have the equipment in that you're using, but you need you need the space, the kind of yeah, the kind of space. Um, you know, you can't just carry around all this stuff in your head. You know, you need to put it out there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so I think I need a bit more space, but. Um, you can always have more space. Of course. So, and I don't think that there comes a point, there must be a mathematical equation for, you know, you don't need much, there's a certain amount you actually do need and beyond that, it's nice to have but not really going to make mm. a huge ma- ma- uh, yeah. effect on your work, really. So, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by type, typography, I find it infinitely interesting and I, and I know very little about it because, I mean, I'm an illustrator so it's, it doesn't mean that I can't know about it, it's just that I sometimes work as an art director, so I, I, I like to think I've got a good instinctive um, recognition of good design when I see it, but I couldn't start to break down why certain typography mm. is good, and, and I know that's a whole can of worms, like a Pandora's box of, of, of rules and opinions and, and everything else, but it's hard to know, if I'm going to approach a graphic designer to work with, it's hard to know the difference between someone who understands the rules of typography and knows what they're doing and someone who's just, you know, chosen mm-hmm. a good font and fooled me as an illustrator without knowing what to look for. So to that end, how much how much should be rule sort of rule driven and how much is subjective when it comes to typography? Oh, yeah, I know it's a big question, both. but yeah. what's your stance on it? Um, I think you need to know the rules. Mm-hmm. If you choose not to use them, then that's an informed decision. That's, you just <laughs> that's always what I've, what I've believed and read but from people that I respect in that world is that it's okay to break the rules as long as you know what you're breaking and yeah, why. Yeah, because if you break all the rules, it will look a mess and it won't communicate. So, And if you don't know you're breaking the rules, then you've got a problem. So, yeah, you, know, you have to learn and learn the rules. Um, uh, yeah, there's a, lot, there's, a, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of dispute about certain rules. Um, you know, generally consistency is obviously king. So if you choose to use um, um, an N dash instead of an M dash, you know, um, you know, as long as you're consistent. And obviously, different countries have different conventions. So when you're designing um, internationally or for a particular country, you've got to sort of have an idea of that. I mean, I recently set um, a bit of Chinese. You know, that's hard wow. to do when you don't read Chinese, and obviously I had people to check what I was doing, but it was understanding a whole different set of rules, and, and some of them are, um, you do kind of, because you're used to setting in English and the kind of visual rules, there are sort of crossovers, as in I can understand why that rule is there. Um, and I think that's what you should always do. I mean, it's, you need, yeah, there's rules, but you have to understand why they're there. I mean, that's the other big thing. I was chatting to one student who always said, 
I always set my um, spacing to optical in design. And I'm like, well, why do you do that? Oh, my art director I worked for once told me to do that. And I'm like, well, and then he also transpired that um, because optical kerning tends to squash the letter forms together. Um, and then he then it came out that he always tracked out all of his letters to compensate for the first thing he was doing. And I was like, well, you know, if you're, if you're using optical kerning and then you're tracking all your letters afterwards, you're actually doing... Is that just doubling up the work? Is that yeah, so, so, yeah, so, um, yeah, I was like, so you really have to ask questions. And I think, um, you know, I do think you should ask about why rules are, are there. And sometimes those rules are there because of um, habit. There's a lot of habit that goes on in printing. Um, now, why we have the QWERTY keyboard, of course, is because of a typewriter, because it was meant to slow your typing down. Right, OK. Um, um, because, obviously, with a typewriter, your keys would get jammed together, otherwise, if you were typing too fast. But that is completely redundant with um, digital <laughs> technology. But think about it. The people that were starting to use the new computers when they were coming in were secretaries. And they didn't, they just they'd learnt off by heart the QWERTY keyboard. And that would be a huge economical problem so if they had to relearn another keyboard layout so they just copied it over so <laughs> so although there's lots of and i mean indesign's got um you know it still has all of the old archaic language for setting and spacing and you know you know different types of space different types of rules um hyphens and things you know and and it keeps that but i like that because it kind of gives you a handhold onto the history of um of where all this stuff comes from. And if you can attribute a story to it, you'll remember it better, because we think narratively. Mm-hmm. So if I told you, well, my students, this is, you know, the space between the lines is called leading, but then I can physically give them a piece of lead, leading material and say, look, it's kind of made of lead. <laughs> it's <laughs> leading. And they like, they touch it and they feel it and they remember it because it's a physical thing. Yeah. So I like these, um, the, I like the way that language helps you to kind of navigate back further in time and ask questions, you say, ask questions about, okay, mm. well, why is it like that? And, and the best way to tell often um, is to print it out with, you know, using one rule and print out your work, not using that rule, and just look at it and see for mm-hmm. yourself. Because if, if it, that rule's never going to land, you're never going to remember it if you don't really understand why it's there in the first yeah, place. Yeah, goes back to that. Uh, almost, you know, the, the whole putting it up in the lab thing that we talked about in space and, and looking at things physically that like you mentioned with letterpress. Very important to just step back and, and just get rid of all the other distractions and put these two things down yeah. and study it. You literally it's very do simple, have to almost do that. therapeutic as well. Yeah, absolutely. You do have to do that. I mean, a lot of students going to me, oh, should I do this or that? And I'm like, well, print it out, see it, judge yeah. for yourself. Quite often you will make the right decision. Um, there were things, you know, things like always space capitals. Oh, I guess you always, always should space capitals. Um, and they'll say, well, how much space? Well, I'll say, well, print it out, put some spacing in and see for yourself. You know, put something in that's a little bit too, do you think there's too little? Um, do something that's about in the middle and do something that you think is probably too much space. And then yeah. from those three, you can judge, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, also the other thing is the computer screen will lie to you with type. It lies to you. I mean, unless you're doing um, web design, which is a different thing. And even then, you have to view it within the browsers that you're using. Um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the, the computer is it kind of says that it shows you how it's going to come out, but it's not. You know, I mean, all typefaces um, have... Um, hinting documents with them because we're all trying to fit vector files to a pixel screen 
So they're interpreted differently, different typefaces mm. are interpreted differently by different applications, different web browsers. So something that will look great in um, your lovely um, InDesign document is going to look appalling in, um, in Microsoft Office or something like that, you know. And so, <laughs> you know, there's lots of things, lots of variables to play with, but that's what makes, I suppose, typography exciting for, yeah. you know, it's, it, typography is always really closely followed um, the methods of printing or production that carried them. So, um, I mean, for example, Bodoni with the very fine serifs um, that was um, invented in the, well, invented, and designed in the 1800s, I oh, know, 1775, I think it is, by Bodoni. And he was a bit of a perfectionist printer. And he had designed these very fine serifs on his typeface because he meant it to be print letterpress, which means that you'll get a slight ink squash from the paper hitting uh, the ink hitting the paper. Mm. So the serifs wouldn't actually print as fine as the original piece of type would suggest. Um, but when lithography came along, which was not long after, it wanted required a different type of paper, shiny. Um, wasn't it? Was the type was or the printing surface was very flat and it, the type sat on top of the paper rather than slightly into the paper. And so the serifs appeared much finer in lithography than Bodoni had intended. And what that gives is a very dazzling effect mm. and it's hard to read. So Bodoni looks great in those headlines, but I often find in print it just it just looks a bit too much like a fence, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's quite dazzling on the eye. And that's when you understand that, you know, it was designed for a letterpress ink squash and that it would soften those serifs mm. from that process. So when you start to think about these things, you really start to ask questions of the typefaces that you're using and saying, well, okay, was that designed for a newspaper where you had to use it on a narrow measure when it tends to have a higher X height and sort of slightly more condensed letter forms? Or, um, you know, is this... I mean, the problem at the moment is shop signage because the new trend in type design is because we're all reading on screens and phones. They tend to use sans-serif typefaces, but quite condensed ones so they can fit more type on the screen at any one time. But that's a problem for shop signage because when they put their logo that's been designed by digital designers who are not used to getting off the screen or printing a lot for web, they make these very condensed typefaces that look shit along your lovely long shop front and you've got this very condensed typeface <laughs> sitting in the middle. And so, you know, it's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of that going on. But yeah, the trend at the moment, I would say, um, is kind of for these more condensed letter form designs, yeah. which makes complete sense within a digital space. Yeah. And uh, um, so, yes, yeah, so type design will always will always follow um, its method of production very yeah. closely. And so that's that's when you get drawn, when you learn about typography, you get drawn into um, engineering and um, and kind of technical revolution in printing, because, I mean, letterpress is the DNA of typography. You know, it's really ingrained in there, and before that, pen forms and letter forms. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, fascinating when you get stuck in it really but, is but, <laughs> but it is a bit kind of impenetrable to start with i think completely well but then you could probably say that about any creative discipline you know it's like it all feels overwhelming when you just open the door and it's like you asked you know you're coming into it afresh it's, god you know any any field is totally overwhelming well i guess if you think about it like um if you if you were going to be an illustrator and the first time you've ever drawn was when you were given a computer, like just a computer. You'd be finding it really difficult to draw with. That's your first experience of um, 
of drawing and, and, and with with designer, I mean, although I think it's important for designers to draw, that's typography is their drawing, you know. It's yeah. It's it's kind of a real keystone. Um, and it's amazing how much that's kind of not it obviously it's quite obvious with illustration that drawing is a bit of a keystone, but I think sometimes it can be a bit lost. I think it can suddenly be like, the computer isn't going to teach you typography, right? Yeah, <laughs> And I think that's the thing. And I think when people sit down to do type typography, they've just got the application open, and that isn't going to sort of teach you. So just getting a couple of books that introduce you does o- do does open totally. up. Totally, well. you have to understand the groundwork. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. So I don't know that rambled a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. So how easy? I mean, we we went to a, you, Rod, and I went to um, show on Thursday. And uh, I love it when I see someone who knows about type spots and bad type in the <laughs> oh, street. Really and, and, yeah, like, it's fantastic to see you. So that being said, how easy, not just yourself, but how easy do you think for anyone who understands type, even at a basic level, to spot the difference between a conscious, you know, a conscious breaking of the rules and just bad type? Um, I think when you see in the visual communication an inconsistency in a brand, so you'll see something that's obviously trying to use different. Um, colourways and it's you know it's obviously perhaps it's a um, a company that's trying very hard to appear like one but you don't believe it you're not mm. sold on it you know if you just think okay yep and you just you see something like um, a logo or something and you just take on board what their message is and you move on you don't question it but when you stop and you start thinking about it. And if you notice the dark design, that's probably because there's something wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless you're a typographer who will just go straight in there. And often I won't even, like, read a book sometimes. I'm just spending hours looking at the type. <laughs> um, but unless if you're a normal person, then, yeah, if you notice the design, then it's broken yeah. um, a little bit. Unless mm. somebody like me points it out to you, like I, I always sort of do. Um, so, yeah, that's, <laughs> it. that's pretty much it for everyone else. You know, if they notice the design, then it's not working yeah yeah i guess like you say because it's a quiet art form, it's a very it? it's a very yeah i mean um that's why you don't get very many egotist typographers well i suppose you have done in the past in the 50s and things but you know if you if you've got a bit of an ego don't be a typographer because <laughs> you know but do something else because yeah. people aren't going to notice what your talent is <laughs> yeah at all it's so, so true I, I read i don't know if you've read a book called about first but i, I, mm. I got that when i was at uni and it's just a whimper, just really. I just found I read that the blurb and it, it grabbed me straight away. And it was just, you know, those stories about the things that you get used to seeing every day in terms of typography and signage, but you don't. It's so, you know, road signs, uh, the underground, things like that, that are so everyday to you. But then when you read about the history and the functionality mm. of it, it's mind blowing. Like, you know, the choice of colours, the white on green for the for the kind of the, the directional road signs mm. and things it's just you know there's reasons behind everything like you said it's understanding the rules very much uh, spe- specifically you know with, with the kind of brain that it takes to be a type designer I think there's a reason for everything I mean there's not a lot of I mean there's, there's some lovely font projects that um, um, font designers do on the side but generally you know everything has to be for a reason and you can't be too subjective about it because you're designing a tool mm-hmm. and you can't I mean it's like designing any tool you can't put so you know you, you yourself is imbibed in that design but if it was too obvious then it would not be a very useful font because it would bring with it too many connotations you know so they're fun to do but most often you know you're you know I'm a typographer I'm definitely not a type designer um 
um, that's a very different kind of skill. I mean, if you talk to a type designer, you completely understand exactly what kind of that requires. But I, I use their tools that they make, basically. They're my yeah. HB pencils and my paintbrushes, yeah. you know, as it were. And, um, yeah, it's fascinating. Have you got any favourite stories of your own in terms of the, the backstory to a certain type or a certain piece of design? Um, not yes. You emailed me about this, didn't you? I <laughs> I I kind of went dry when I mean, it kind of comes out in a ramble, but I can't actually pick pick one right now. Try a different question or angle, maybe. <laughs> I know there's loads of stuff. Um, that, you know, it's, it's very rich, but I just can't think of it at the moment. Yeah, why well, something pops up? Let me yeah, know. <laughs> yeah up. but yeah, no. It's um, but I love to I love to telling people about the the rules for typography. But not in a kind of, oh, this... I'm very well aware that some rules are just because it's always done that way and it's kind of nice as a typographer to say, oh, I'm going to use an M-dash without any space either side because that's the <laughs> way of doing it. But you've also got to have a little nod of the head to say, well, you know, people have... Diff- conventions change all the time with typography and, and different languages have different conventions. So you kind of also do have to... And it's some, some, people, some um, institutions may have a house style that's different... You know, um, so it's 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 interesting um, because obviously, as you're saying, some designers know very little about type, and some know more, and so you get asked by different clients. I had um, one client ask me when I did a bit of design for them about, um, oh, we need to put a comma after London before the postcode, and I'm like. Okay, right. Like, how do I handle this? Because, <laughs> like, you do laugh. It's good to laugh at yourself as well. Because we are talking about, you know, commas which are insignificant in the world at large. But um, um, you say, well, you, you know, the convention is 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 not to do that. And I would stick. My personal recommendation would be to um, stick with that. Um, but if you insist, I can do that. And um, they were, oh no, 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 because I mean, it's as you say, because some designers would just adjust, mm. just do, using the application, and some people know about design and it's it's it, um, a typography, and it's very wildly. I think when you're talking about graphic designers as a whole, about where they are on that line. Um, um, generally, if you, your earlier question of how do I tell if a designer knows about typography or not um, is, you know, put a comma after London in a, in a postcode and see if they react. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. What a great test. <laughs> but, you know, just throw in some faux pas that you know that from, from someone who does know about type, you know, you know just to, tell them to typeset something and put some humdingers in there and just see... How many they pick up on? Um, you know, yeah. like a little recce. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a tricky one. But I mean, and also if there's something not working with the type, and they can't explain to you why it's not working, and from a visual point of view, oh, well, that that typeface has the wrong connotation, or it's, you know, that's too big a typeface for that line length. And think if they're not talking to you like that, they're not. Then you know, it also depends on your project. I mean, if it's heavily typographic. Um, you know, that's, you need someone who knows how to handle vast amounts of typography in different hierarchies um, without it all becoming confusing. Mm. Um, but if it's a poster design, you know, you know, if it's people can, and it's just some lettering that's really needed as much as opposed to typography, um, then you know, you can be a lot more freer with, with yeah. grids and things like that. So, do you collaborate much? Do you sort of work with um, other disciplines? 
Yes, um, not so much in my sort of day-to-day -day work, though I'm completely open to that. Um, I do it with my letterpress printing. Um, I do lots of things. Um, and this is a collaboration, and this one up here. Um, by, um, I like to collaborate with writers a lot. Yeah. Because, because with the wonderful online publishing that you can do these days, um, you can find a lot of great writers um, who are actually just lacking um, a visual voice. To, with the, you know, because typography is invisible, but when it's not there, you can see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, you know, and sometimes with publishing and being a self-publisher, you're sometimes not always aware of all the many different roles of copywriter and um, um, proofreader, and you know, enforcing a house style on the work, and how all those different um, jobs in publishing refine and refine down. The, the work of the writer, the author and that's sort of missing with online publishing and so you can get great pieces of work that actually are lacking communication because mm. they don't visually hit the right notes or the typeface they've chosen doesn't reflect the content or it physically doesn't work within the Kindle space that, we're, I mean, you know, that it works in or something like that and if you can help someone, I really love helping writers um, I mean, I see like my book design work as collaborations, and I like to work. I mean, the one I recently did with Stephen Baycroft. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I kind of loved. Kind, of, I see that very much as a collaboration. Um, and that was a Chinese one you talked about. Yes, yeah, so there was a part. There was Chinese bit, bits of Chinese, small small bit of Chinese. I'm not going to say I'm going to throw myself into large amounts of Chinese yeah, text editing yeah, because yeah. it is amazing because you can't read it, and so you're just reacting on it on a visual level. Yeah. But and then you've got the local nuances to worry about, you know, how that inflection affects the way that a Chinese person would read it. Well, exactly. You can only go so far. I could got so far, but you learnt so much from actually speaking to someone, um, you know, who spoke Chinese, and because they they have conventions, they're used to. I mean, what I mean, I could vastly underestimated how much line length they needed between their characters, you know, to make it readable. So until I read Chinese, uh, um, it's going to be slightly more difficult because there's also convention, but then convention isn't always the best route to go in. It's what works and you yeah. can't see it working because you can't read it. That's a tricky one. But yeah, no, I, I love, um, I, do, I do love working with people who um, aren't used to working in a visual area and then mm. I learn so much about their craft and they learn about mine. And I think if I can have a space and the time to do that with a client which isn't always possible I think they, you know, that they yield the most results uh, the best results um, yeah. the best work um, yeah. but yeah so I particularly like write, re working with writers yeah. and authors yeah it was, as I suspected because it's, I found it very interesting just because I love to work with photographers you know people who can do things that complement my special I have speciality with their own strengths and that's great when two people with their own individual things come together and complement one another well you get some amazing results I think if you work if you're able to work with someone else who's creative they understand like you will actually find more similarities and differences you yeah. know what the actual thing that they the, the skill they've honed themselves in is um, it might be different but the way the process they go through is very similar um, so that's why I like working with writers because they're creative people and they yeah. understand the creative process um, and so that can, all can, can help you know I mean not to worry too much early on that things are a bit more fluid and that they will come round and be fixed so yeah so it's quite it's it can be a bit tricky 
if someone to work for clients who are very very distant from an understanding of, of the creative process yeah. and and a bit against it because whenever they think about the creative process they think of something that's all a bit fluff and nonsense yeah and that can be a bit tricky but then you know but um but yeah no it's but you know on the, on the whole you know people are very fascinated i mean I, I like to explain why when i'm doing something typographically why I'm doing it, you yeah. know, and I, I kind of stop myself from saying, well, just just the way it's done, because I think, well, that's not kind of a good enough reason. There's no. got to be um, a reasoning behind it, um, and so in that way, typography can be a bit more lo- like yeah. right and wrong a little bit. There is subjectivity, of course. Yeah. But, um, there is there is that. Um, yeah. Well, it's good there's subjectivity because otherwise, they yeah. design a computer program to do my job if it was all logical. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sitting in, sitting in your space now, and we've got beautiful uh, kits. I was going to say vintage. I don't even know if that's the right word. Yeah, that's still being 1950s. Used, right, it's yeah. still being used very functionally. Um, I was, the question I was going to ask in sort of music, we've seen a renaissance of vinyl. Is there any chance of that happening? Do you think among designers, or has it already happened? Is it going on? <laughs> um, oh, what in letterpress? Yeah, in terms of a return to more analog methods, and you know, in the way that vinyl. Oh, there already is. There's a lot. Well, there's a lot of people. When this stuff was being chucked out, um, you know, when letterpress sort of died in well, not completely, but you know, it sort of died in, in a kind of commercial sense in the 1970s, 80s. Um, and the reason why it ca- carried on that long is because the machine was built to last. And a lot of people, they felt a connection with this process and the machinery. And they took it home. And that's why there's so much of it around still, because people stuffed it in their sheds. And, and now they're getting to the point where, unfortunately, they're getting older and frailer and, and all, all dying. And then this stuff is coming out in the woodwork. And so there's a sort of new generation of people who never worked with this equipment in a commercial sense but they are completely valuing the process that goes on. And so, you know, people like Counterpress, people like um, Justin Knopp um, from Typeritum, they're all doing really interesting, um, current, relevant letterpress work. Um, there's a slightly different um, type, when you're talking about um, letterpress debossing, there's lots of that going on, that uses a specific kind of press um, um, with plates, which is not strictly letterpress, I suppose, because it's not movable letters. Um, but that, I mean, that's alive and well, but it's more of a finishing technique, like foiling or blocking or something like that. You know, it's just taking a design and pushing it into paper. And that, you know, that will be for around, I mean, for as long as the machines will last, actually. I mean, these things well, could keep going forever. I mean, I've got so, you know, I've got a couple of welds in the machine. Just take it to get welded and get bricks, you know, snapped. And they're really, I love them that you can kind of work out and fix all the problems yourself. You do not need another company. You don't need a subscription. You don't yeah. need to call it. And that sense of freedom and kind of control um, over the process is really liberating. And when I look back at my computer, I'm thinking, crikey, you know, if I don't update that subscription, I can't use that, that work. I can't edit that yeah. work anymore. And I find that really is taking away mm. something. Um, and so, um, 
with with the letterpress, I just feel like you've got. I mean, just like with a with your own set of brushes or or, or yeah. knives or whatever, you you just know that it's just you and that tool. God, yeah. Oh, even the way that I scrape a bit of excess ink off can be important. Can be important to the way that I draw a certain line. Exactly. And no one could ever know that. That's an instinctive ingrained thing in my mind. You know. Well, the thing is, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, your brain is learning so much more than you realise it's learning about stuff. So when I say, "Oh, how much ink is too much ink?" and I'm like, "Well, you just." No, and that's because you just keep having to do yeah, it. Yeah. It's not, I can't just give you all the answers right here. You've just, you just internalise an answer that can't be spoken yeah. in language. And so, um, you know, that's always fascinating. I mean, but what I do know is that when I turn that on in the morning, I'm not going to have to load it, wait for loading updates. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to have to think, <laughs> oh, fuck, this is You're not You're not going to get a spinning apple uh, beach ball. Yeah, you? <laughs> and then, you know, then I have to take the laptop and, you know, I have to f- spend out, you know, the, you know, I'll just look for five minutes on Google about how to fix that. And like three hours later, you're like, oh my God, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm talking, I'm always been a physical person. Maybe in the future, we'll have much better understanding of coding and stuff. And we'll find that we can unlock a lot of these tools that are a moment kind of closed off to us in yeah. the digital realm. You know, there's nothing wrong with digital at all. But right now, I just know that, you know, I can... I can use more senses to create and I can I can control the process or not control yeah. the process at my own own will. Well your setup speaks for itself. We've got that beautiful night. Did you want me to piece turn of... it over with that the sounds be good? We can do, yeah, we will do in a bit actually. Okay. But so if we've got this facing directly onto like, you know, your Apple setup here and it just strikes me that you're someone who understands the value of like like we said, knowing and understanding the rules and what you're doing. It seems like any decision to go on to digital or to go on to here would be an educated decision and something that where you you know why you've chosen to do that rather than just reliance upon one thing. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think, you know, I think it's very important that you have another tool because you can't see a tool for what it really is unless you have another tool. And yep. then you can see its pros and cons. And not everybody can have big letterpress machinery. Um, that's just something I've fallen into. But even if it's drawing or if it's some kind of other tool to do what you're doing, that, so then you can see the computer for what it's good at. Yep. The computer's terrible at scale. Um, it's got loads of drawbacks. But then that's fine because like, so is a letterpress machinery. But I know what the constraints are. I know how to work for them. I know how to make my design work around letterpress. I know how to make my work work around whatever digital tool that I'm using but I'm aware of this Um, you know even the other day you know normally type gets printed out too big because you can't see scale on a computer but it was a big banner I was doing the other day and I just tile print it out really quickly just the day before just putting it up and going yeah even though I think I know what I'm doing that type's still big you know and I'd never be able to see that unless you'd actually printed it out and you know you can't get too arrogant over what you know as well because it will always surprise you yeah um but yeah I mean I I think I think uh, the other thing I always thought that um graphic design is always three-dimensional really I mean you're not designing a 2d space because if you're creating something for print it will always be within a 3d environment and so it has to work within a three-dimensional environment. And even if you design a website, it's still being going to be in a 3D space in the sense of it's going to have to be on some kind of device that someone actually has to hold at a certain distance from their eyes. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you know, so I think all, you know, until we stop being physical entities ourselves, you know, design <laughs> yeah. will always be. So this idea of two-dimensional design yeah. is kind of not. Oh, it's not. It's only half the story. Until we climb into a Tron environment for oh, the last time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping that digital will catch up yeah. and it will start to um, be multi-sensory in yeah. its inputs. That's what I'm hoping for, because mm. then you wouldn't... 
at least for the for the kind of process point, you know, the letterpress stuff would be less critical, or, or you know, in the sense that you know, if it if it you know, we've got so many inputs, as it were, um, and we have and more in- outputs that the computer really doesn't yeah. doesn't get at the moment. And, mm. you know, and, and as much as the advertisers tell us that they're making products for us, I think we are having to change the way we are to fit the product. Yeah. And um, so I'm waiting for being able to sort of have a desk screen, but not just as a screen, as a kind of... Um, a kind of uh, I mean, that's why I love all the... Wacom bits and pieces because I think you know the first tablet I ever used actually got halfway halfway near to what I actually wanted it to do yeah um, it, was, it was really good or even just actually I just use it for browsing the web I just like I don't like this movement I like kind of that movement as well. mm. so, yeah. yeah again physical touch isn't it it's important yeah yeah you know it's really funny when you when you were talking then about the sort of replacing parts and things I got my stupid imagination talk about 10 step leap and and you know those guys who just like their Sunday or bank holiday is under a car on a pair of those, one of those little trolleys oh, yeah, like just yeah. tinkering with stuff that don't and it's a vision for you in a pair of overalls like every bank holiday underneath your like oh yeah 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 <laughs> your, no, your tie, no I love that I love that like because you you know it's um, <laughs> you know it's uh, I can't imagine I can't imagine having the same feeling over my my, my desktop printer or no, something like that. No, you don't get you know? that. But it's it's um, yeah. I guess I guess there's. I mean, I, I also have a thing about machines, obviously. But machines <laughs> machines that enhance your ability. Yeah. And it can't work without you, and you can't work without yeah. it. Nailed on the Yeah. And a lot of machines are more like, you know, I think my desktop printer. It's sort of, it's kind of more like I press a button, it does its thing. I'm doing my thing. We're we're sort of a bit separate, mm. and I and I kind of like machines that kind of enhance our ability, don't, but not replace our ability completely. So yeah. that so any tool that does that, I'm really I love yeah I love people's tools. I love going around people's um, uh, uh, especially in the artist complex here and just seeing you know what people do with their tools. And often their thinking is very similar to mine, but their their way they express it or yeah, it's you know, a beautiful it's, thing isn't it it's like I always say it's like the inside of someone's mind in their workspace yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely it's like stepping in someone's head yeah. it's fascinating and then for a second you just want to drop everything you do and just do what they do yeah completely yeah uh, and, then, and then you sort of like but you know that's you know that's why that's why it's so good to be in a place like um, a, you know a studio complex where yeah. you can you just don't want to be with other for me designers or typographers because mm. that would be incredibly limiting everything yeah. that you wish you'd done had already been done by somebody you know yeah. it's terrible whereas and this is the problem with hot desking I think because it you tend to be surrounded by the same people yeah and that's a problem um, uh, and you really I mean they could be doing different things at a computer I guess but I mean it's kind of nice to, from a creative point of view to be surrounded by people because your tools will always affect what you do and you will always affect your tools um, so and if everyone as I say to my students if everyone is using the same computer program to do typography around the world mm. that limits you know completely limits everything and yeah. that you know you need to I mean that's why there's in some ways there's a more variety in illustration because you can kind of take anything and use it as yeah. um, you know you just have to might, might have to digitise the final result and I kind of like thinking about type in that way I guess and mm. maybe I work m- some ways more like an illustrator in that sense because I want 
a greater variety of tools to do my typography. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, and, and I'm really sort of, you know, jealous of you illustrators who have so <laughs> many tools. And like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily hand draw all of my type for a book, of course, but, you know, it's, it's um, you know, Letterpress does give you quite a quick and instant result, considering it's so slow. And I always say to people when they say, oh, it takes so much time to do letterpress when they see me setting a bit of metal type. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It gives me time. Yeah. It gives me time to think. And I lack that. So it's, mm. it's partly, I use it in my work, my letterpress, but it's partly just to realign my brain and get me re in touch, re, more in touch with my senses again. And yeah. especially when I'm stuck in a digital space, you need to come at it from a different angle. Um, and, it, and as I say to my students, you don't realise. I mean, I use, I cut. I if I'm having a problem with a typographic design, sometimes I print it off and cut into it and t- cut and paste, solve the problem in a physical space, then put it back into the computer, and the client yeah. has no idea. Of you know, not. No yeah. one would ever know unless I told them that that's how I work. Yeah. And I think there's this pressure that, you know, typographers should work just with a digital space and like in sometimes it's time that restricts us mm. to just working in that digital space but then you know the more we're using the same tool um and quickly the more it becomes more of a habit that we're working and not actually doing anything new i guess yeah and it doesn't yeah i mean it doesn't help that you know because typography doesn't look like it takes a long time <laughs> i get a very little amount of time to do that work in yeah so i guess what the letterpress is is that i know that i will never have enough time to do new stuff on project work but what I will do is I will do my new stuff in my own time um, and use that as you know feature projects and things like that and then what I've learnt in doing that feeds into my my kind of more commercial work um, and I've already kind of tested it out as it were so I can apply it in a much more direct and quick way because I would mm-hmm. never have the, you know, no one's going to say, oh, Kim, we need some type on this poster. You've got a month to work it out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, uh, that'd be great, you know, but I don't get that. So I kind of have to find my own way of still coming up with new and interesting ideas through type, but I have to do that away yeah. and then apply it. I mean, that's fine, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, I suppose we, everyone has to do that to a certain degree. I mean, you've got to do the work you want to do before yeah. you get to do it. Well, completely, yeah. And then you get bored of that and you have to make new work. Yeah. And it's a continual like, kind of cycle of um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, um, caterpillar, chrysalis, yeah. butterfly type thing. Yeah. So your, your, uh, your own workshops, what, what can people get from that and where can they find information um, on that? Um, I'm just trying to think. At the moment, I'm just doing teaching at MET. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not at the moment because I was obviously used to teach next door um, so I don't think there's anywhere I'd like to what I'd like to do is build um, a typographic workshop that kind of unites many different tools so computer screens in the same space as letterpress machinery and stone carving and calligraphy so this because I would like to teach typography rather than just letterpress or something um because it's you know it's when you start talking to about people they you know really fascinated and interested by it and i'd like to impart some of that knowledge where it doesn't look like it's there and if people don't know it's there it'll sort of die or get lost in the mist of time so yeah so but it's building that space. okay yeah so you're working towards so, that at the minute yeah so there's not i mean i mean at the moment i might be doing some stuff with piakariki Pless in walthamstow 
um, next year, but it's the, it's the teaching and that stuff kind of takes up all of the available time for doing Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I mean, in the future, I would really yeah like to do my own sort of short courses and stuff. Cool. You know, and and where's the best place for people to keep uh, keep track of that and see if anything does come up? Um, probably my Instagram is the most active, um, so at Kim Galsden. Um, um, I do. I have a Twitter account that's slightly less active, cool. um, and uh, just the website, I guess, really. Um, What's your website? Uh, KimBalsen.com. Perfect. Right, the last question on the spot that I always do with people is shark in the tank section where I ask people for love and a hate or a positive and a negative. And I usually say within the creative world, but I'm gonna I'm gonna box you in a bit more and throw you in typography. Right. So it's, it's, it could be very whimsical, playful. It could be serious. Very, it could be whatever oh, you okay. it's whatever you want it to be. A love and a hate. Yeah. Um, typography. <laughs> mm, um, I guess just feeding on what I was saying earlier, you know, just the the limited sort of space we have to be creative with typography it's quite frustrating I find that and that's why it's come out into this letterpress tool tooly stuff um, yeah yeah I'm just thinking even the, the programs we have to do typography are very limited even on the computer and mm. in theory you should be able to have many um, um, but I, what, I mean, love typography I love the fact that, that um, Digital is also, working digitally has also really opened up ways of using letterpress and stuff that you've never could work with before. Because let's be fair, I don't really want to do tons of jobbing work on my press, you know, but it's freed in the same way that TV freed radio to be what it, you know, to be what it was good at. I think letterpress um, is kind of freed to sort of do what it's good at which is kind of be a great teacher teacher of typography and um and a great way of kind of learning how to be creative um i guess that's all very boring it's not very boring at all that's a great answer but um (laughs) yeah yeah it's um yeah, I keep looking at my type saying, give me an answer, you know, help me out here. <laughs> I think a little That's bit good, you've nailed it, I, I think you've nailed it, yeah. <laughs> I really do. Um, I, think, I think spacing between capitals generally has been neglected in, in the world, so I think, you know, needing a bit more of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I won't go into my list of, of pet That's, Oh God, no, we could probably, probably do about five but, episodes yeah, just on that. <laughs> it's kind of, but it's amusing, I can give you um, a typographical walk around London, um, which will be less of a tour and more of a kind of lambast of, of, all, of all, all things but it's cool because <laughs> I said I mean it's it's like that's what people pay you to be you know and if you haven't got yeah. anything to say about type then completely god yeah <laughs> that's why I wanted to interview you you know because so, I know that you I just picked up that you're passionate and you care so oh yeah I know. mean it's, it's odd I never thought I would be this passionate about type you know I can't say I was listen to loads of typographers who say oh you know I've been drawing it as a child I always had a fascination mm. for type I, I can't say I did that no. I've always been a visual person always made stuff typography I think was a learnt thing um, and I learnt more about it because the physical I liked working physical letterpress was physical it was the link the stepping stone I needed um, into a world what can all, can sometimes be a bit dry um, but um, yeah so, so yeah that's always floated away Awesome. <laughs> and just to finish off, I'm going to take you up on that offer to, to, to get yeah. that lovely 
and the sound of machinery going on to, to close yeah, the show. Yeah, see, so we're printing like tons of exciting What a great audio tree, I never thought, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect that. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, well, you know. <laughs> okay. Oh, look at that, straight away, plug, bang. Yeah, you, 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 have to, yeah, you, you definitely get some muscles when you're lifting, you know, you know five kilogram trays of tyres and things like that. Okay, so... You'll you'll be amused by let's have a look. You'll be amused by this. It works on remote control. Look at that! I've <laughs> got a handset for it. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's the motor. Yeah, you can't touch the thing without being lucky. There we go. Um, and then. for taking the time to have me in the studio she baked some stuff and brought it in and we had some food we had a brew we talked type in amongst all this wonderful analog equipment from a, a beautiful visual era when things were on paper and uh, and printing presses and i went to bradford college back in 2002 and i spent time in those studios and i've seen people spill massive type trays oh <laughs> the pain on their face when that happens it's such a monstrous task to put it all back together. Um, I don't know why I'm on about that, but it's just interesting stuff, isn't it? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please do get us your thoughts on the Twitter at Arrest All Mimics. Um, let us know your thoughts. Who do you want to hear from on the show? We've got the 100th episode coming up soon. We're going to announce it uh, in the not-too-distant future. It's a good one. It's a meaningful one. It's uh, somebody who's a big fan of their work, so that's very exciting. All that stuff coming up. Hello at bentallon.com on the email. 
if you want to drop us thoughts on anything whatsoever. Uh, social following is going up. It's awesome. Get us followed on Twitter at Arrest on the Mix and the same handle on Instagram. It's good to share the word and spread the love, so I hope you'll keep doing that for me. Uh, doing the show, so there's a big guest coming up. We've got Graham Wood from Tomato coming up. Heavyweight, a real innovator, a real powerhouse. Gary Mansfield, ex-convict, talking about how he discovered art and how it turned his life around and now what work he does to implement that moving forward. Kate Forrester, lettering specialist, coming up. Uh, it's, it's exciting times, loving doing the show. I'm off to see Cal from Flow. We are Flow in Manchester tomorrow, which is uh, very exciting. They just won an award after only a couple of years of going. So it's all going off. What are you up to? Please let us know. Like I said, get it across on the social media. Big thanks to my sponsors once again. Illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk. Providing you all social media advice. SEO work, uh, getting you up those Google rankings, providing us web hosting space, URLs, domain names, all going on. So go and have a look at those people because they support the show. And I love that. <laughs> so cheers, guys. Go and check out Kim's work. Uh, she's brilliant. Get her followed on social media. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing you from you all very soon. Nice one. Have a great week. Stay creative. See you later, guys. 